Welcome. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that you're here to worship with us. We are midstream in the series that you see on the screen. It's called Devoted. We've been looking at the three great loves that every follower of Jesus is called to be devoted to. We've been talking about loving God. And these days we're focusing in on the circle that has to do with loving the church with Welcome. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that you're here to worship with us. We are midstream in the series that you see on the screen. It's called Devoted. Welcome. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. And sometimes it's best misrepresented by images as well. And Colin Smith describes some contemporary images that describe the way we oftentimes think about the church. He says, some people think about the church as a gas station, okay? For some people, he says, the church is a place where you fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low. Get a good sermon, it'll keep you going for the week, Others think of the church as a movie theater. For many people, the church is a place, he says, that offers entertainment. Come and see a show. Go for an hour of escape, hopefully in comfortable seats. Leave your problems at the door. Come out smiling and feeling better than when you went in. Others would say the church is a drugstore. For some people, the church is a place where you can fill the prescription that will deal with your pain. The church for them is primarily therapeutic. Others would say the church is a big box retailer, the place that offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. The church offers great service at a low price. All in one stop, he says. For many people, the church is a producer of programs for children and young people. Now, while these are not the images that we would use to represent the church, the Bible does use images to talk about the church. And we talked about one of those images last week where it talks about the church being the bride of Christ. And rather than a picture, Paul paints it with words. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church his bride, and gave himself up for her. We saw last week that the image of the church evokes the idea of submission to one who is our head. We'll talk more about that today. But also ones who are are deeply, deeply loved. And so today we want to invoke another image. We want to think about what it means that the people sitting across the room from you are the body of Christ, the body of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul's go-to illustration of what it means to be the church. He uses it in Romans. He uses it in Ephesians. He uses it in Colossians. But his main usage is in the book of 1 Corinthians, in your Bibles, chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn there and... um, encourage you to bring your Bible, especially if you sit in the wings here. It'll avoid that crick in the neck from looking up there reading all those Bible verses. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. And I'd like to just read you the main section of it. As I read it, um, listen to what Paul has to say about us as the body of Christ. He uses that metaphor. Starting in verse 12. He says, just as the body is one. And has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. 
so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, as we walk through this passage together, I want you to keep in mind something. This is not a history lesson. This is not just about some church in a place called Corinth a long, long time ago. This passage has extraordinary application to us. Really, it's about you, and it's about me, and it's about the people in this room and who God has made us to be and how <clears throat> we love and serve one another. Now, as we think about it, um, let, me, let me encourage you to watch this little video. Um, I went to an unlikely source for our teaching about the church. The doctrine of the church is called ecclesiology. And this is ecclesiology by Google. Be together, not the same. That's really right at the heart of what Paul is trying to say in the passage we just read, right? Google had no idea they were teaching us ecclesiology when they made our little Android commercial. Um, let's break that into, into those two parts, and let's think about what Paul has to say to us about what it means for us to be together, yet not the same, okay? First, being together. 
See, when we talk about being together as the body of Christ, we use the language of oneness to describe a remarkable, unique unity. Uh, Look with me at verse 12 in our passage. Paul says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So just like your physical body, so it is with Christ and his church. For in the Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. The language here, it just drips with the language of oneness, doesn't it? He says, the body is one. Um, we are, though our members are many, they are one body. There's one spirit. He baptizes us into one body, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. One, 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 united. And this is a deeper, richer idea than just being together in the same place. Okay? It's a deeper, richer idea than just hanging out together Uh, for an hour on Sundays. It's different than a, uh, say, a common interest club, like, uh, say, a biker gang or a a country club. The church is radically different than that. And those interests, those kind of clubs, you want in because you have common interests or aspirations. You have a Harley, for instance, so you want to get in the club. And you get into those kinds of clubs by paying membership dues, maybe paying thousands of dollars or getting a really painful large tattoo, okay? That's how you get in. Um, We were placed in the body not because of our common interest with the people here, but Paul says it's by the saving work of the Spirit, We are baptized into one body. He takes us, and when you come to faith in Jesus, you are saved into the church, okay? Christians are part of the church. We're placed in the body by the saving work of the Spirit, and that, in spite of our differences, he indicates. He says, whether whether you're Jews or whether you're Greeks or whether you're slaves or whether you're free, the Spirit, in spite of our uncommon interests, he makes us one. And we belong together inextricably. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The idea is that we are inseparably bound up together in this thing called the body of Christ. We can't opt out of it just because we don't feel like we're a part of it. You can't just say, um, I sold my bike and I erased my tattoo. I'm not in a club anymore. That's not how the church works. The church is more like family. You know... um, you can be a dysfunctional family member um, or, a, or a faithful family member, but you can't opt out of family, right? It's a, you're a lifer. It's, you're in there. Okay? You will always be family. And that's more the way the church works. Once the Spirit 
brings you into the church, then you are you're part of the church. Now, you may be a dysfunctional member or a faithful member, but you're a member. You're a lifer. Once you come into Christ, you're brought into His body. And that body is built to not be divided. Okay? Uh, look down, drop down a few verses, verse 24. It says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In spite of our differences, we have the same care for one another. We are built for and called to something more than just hanging out. Okay? We are called to be one and not let divisions come between us. So we refuse to turn on each other. We refuse to turn from each other, to gossip about each other, to avoid one another, to remain unreconciled to one another. We are designed by God to be one. And so we work hard to protect that, to be reconciled if need be. David Daniels tells this story about a couple. They've been married for 60 years, okay? 60 years. And throughout their life, they shared everything. They loved each other deeply. They had not kept any secrets from one another except for one small shoebox that the wife kept in the top shelf of her closet. When they got married, she put the box there and asked her husband never to look inside of it and never to ask questions about its contents. And for 60 years, the man honored his wife's request. In fact, he forgot all about the box until one day his wife grew gravely ill and the doctors were not sure she had any way to recover. And so the man, putting his wife's affairs into order, remembered that box in the top of the closet, got it down, brought it to her at the hospital, and he asked her if perhaps uh, now they might be time for them to open it together. And she agreed. And so they opened the box, and inside were two crocheted dolls and a roll of money that totaled $95,000. $95,000. The man was astonished. So the woman explained the box to her husband. She said that the day before they were married, her grandmother took her aside and said that if she and her husband were ever to get into an argument with one another, they should work hard to reconcile. But if they were unable to reconcile, she should simply keep her mouth shut and crochet a doll. That was grandma's advice. So... The man was touched by this because there were only two crocheted dolls in the box. And he was amazed that over 60 years of marriage, they apparently only had two conversations they were unable to reconcile. And so tears came to his eyes, and he grew even more deeply in love with this woman. But then he said, what's up with the roll of money? And his wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll... I sold it to a local craft fair for $5, right? <clears throat> See, be because we are the body designed by God to be one, See, when we, when we don't reconcile, we don't crochet a doll, okay? 
we keep working to reconcile. We are built to be one and not to let our differences divide us. We are designed by God to be undivided, and we have to do the hard work of protecting that, and reconciling is part of that. And some of you have work to do. You're mindful of it as I talk about it. There's someone who sat in this room this morning that you need to reconcile with, and you need to reconcile. That's what we do as part of the body. We are one. Being in the body of Christ, being together in the body, means there are no divisions. And it, it means that we care deeply for one another. Okay? We really do. We are called to that. I love this description. It's probably one of my favorite descriptions of the church in the entire Bible. Is verse 25 and 26. It says, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We care deeply for each other. That's what we do. That's what it means to be the church. We are the body of Christ. It means to belong together, to need each other, to be different from each other, yet to be undivided and to care deeply for each other. Let me ask for your help with something. If you have received um, meaningful care from our church family, from someone in our church family in the last six months, okay, would you just raise your hand? If you've received meaningful care. All right, good. Okay, put your hands down. Now, if you in the last six months have given meaningful care to someone in our church body, would you raise your hand? Okay, all right, good. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, here's what I want to say to you. Come on in, the water's fine, right? This, there's an amazing amount of care and concern being shared in this room, and it's a tragedy if you are on the edges and are not sharing in it. Okay. It's, it's contrary to your design. God rescued you, brought you into the body, this particular body, so that you could love and be loved, not so you could watch and be seen. Okay. See, this is descriptive of the reality of the way the church is built. We affect one another because we are one. And that's why, did you ever have a Christian do you wrong? It hurts worse than if somebody who's outside the faith does you wrong. And that is a consequence of our design, right? We affect one another deeply because we are one. Um, it describes us. It's de descriptive, but it's also prescriptive of the way we have to build relationships here in the church at Northwake. We must be building relationships with each other so that our sufferings, Paul says, and our joys are shared. Now, are you that engaged with the people in this room that you are sharing in their joys and sorrows? 
When was the last time you high-fived somebody in celebration for something good that God had done in their world? Someone in this room. When was the last time you took somebody out to dinner and said, let's celebrate? Or even coffee. Let's celebrate. Okay. The good thing that God has done. When did you last bow in prayer with somebody and just give thanks because you knew what was going on in their world and it was good? Paul says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. When was the last time you you wept with someone in this room because of their great suffering and their great sorrow? When did did, did you ever stop by a waiting room at a hospital just to enter into someone's suffering with them and be there for them? Give them a phone call just to see how they're doing because you were concerned about them. This is God's design for us. If one member suffers, all suffer together. We affect one another because we are one. So if, if you are isolated and on the fringes, then know that you are outside of God's good design for you. We could even say you're out of his will for you. And how... Oh, how you are missing out. So come on in. The water's fine, right? And if you don't, then because we are one, you affect us, and the whole body suffers for it. Um, Be together, but not the same, right? Um, see, just by definition of this metaphor that Paul's using, the members of the body are not like each other. And he's really clear about this. Uh, verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet, yet one, one body. And if you, are, if you are in a small group at Northway, and I, and I hope you are, it's really the, the best place in the church to experience the church. If you're in a small group, then you know that it's hard to imagine why that collection of people would ever sit in a room together apart from Christ, right? It, I mean, literally, go to your small group, sit down and look around and say, if not Jesus, why are these people in this room together? They're so different They vote different. They might be of different ages, different races. They cheer for different teams. They come from different parts of the country, if not different parts of the world. Uh, One can teach, another serves, another organizes. One can sing, another one you pray doesn't sing. One prays hard. We're diverse. This is according to God's design. Let me show you. I, I. I, I got a video from one of our small groups. This really highlights the diversity of a small group. Watch this.
<laughs> that look like your small group, right? Could you, could you see him in there? Um, Sam Williams is in my small group. You can figure out which one he is. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> see, it's not our common interest that holds us together. It's God's saving work that has placed us in a real complementary way in this room together, on this day together, so that we, we could complement one another. See, because we're not the same in the body of Christ, uh, we need each other. We really need each other to be what God intends us to be. And again, Paul's hammering this. In verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, in the piano that is the body of Christ, each member is given a note to play in the grand song of being and building the church. Every note's different. We need each other every day. We need each other on this day. This means you are needed here. You are. God has designed you to fit in an extraordinary way in our, in our body, in a unique way. Again, l listen to this language. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? See, this, Paul is using an absurd illustration here for us. Parts of your body are defecting due to a sense of an inferiority complex, right? Your foot is walking out in discouraged protest. Your ears are ceasing to listen to the counsel that they are really needed. And so Paul is crossing off envy, inferiority, competition, comparison with this absurd illustration that he's using. It just can't be allowed in our relationships. It's just not true in our relationships because you matter. You matter. You are a part of this body by the design of the very Spirit of God. You were made and gifted to belong and to serve the church. You can't just bow out of it because you think you are insignificant. That's, that's contrary to what God is saying is true about you. If that's how you think, it would do you well to heed um, this African proverb that says, if you think you are too small to make a difference, try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito. You can think about that when you get home. It'll make sense to you. Um, you are a spirit-designed, vital member of this church body. Um, every member matters. Everyone is intended by God to make a needful contribution. The church becomes increasingly dysfunctional as members pull back withhold, sit it out, and watch the show. Okay. The Barna Research Group, it's been about a decade ago, they did this research, so I can't imagine it's gotten any better, unfortunately. 
in the United States, there were 10 million self-proclaimed born-again Christians who have not been to church one time in the last six months, unless you count Christmas or Easter. Not once. Now, all the born-agains, almost all the born-agains say their spiritual life is very important to them, but for 10 million of them, spiritual life has nothing to do meaningfully with the church. And so, with 10 million professing born-again Christians out on the sidelines of the church, it's no wonder that the church walks with a limp, right? Paul Paul comes at this from the other side as well. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, we've seen that there's no place for inferiority, Paul says, or disengagement. All are needed. Now he says, there's no place for superiority where you'd say, you're not needed. Think of it like this. Um, the upfront pastor cannot say to the behind-the-scenes sound guy, I have no need of you. <laughs> thank, thank you, Justin. Um, see, there is like, for me to stand here and do what I do on Sunday, there is a line of people using their gifts that would go out the door, okay? And you don't, you don't see them. They're kind of secret servants in the church, but, um, but this happens because they have happened and fulfilled what they are called to do, um, it's interesting where, where Paul goes with this. It's a little surprising that he goes this way. But look at where he continues his argument. He says, on the contrary. He's talking about nobody's superior. He says, on the contrary. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, some think maybe he's thinking about your intestinal or inner organs, right, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, some would say he's talking about our private parts, we call them, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, how this actually works out in the church, Paul doesn't spell it out for us here, but I've often wondered if it doesn't have to do with those puzzling kind of upside-down statements that Jesus used to make. Remember, Jesus would say things like, whoever humbles himself like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Another time he said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And again, he said, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And we pick up that Jesus intends to give special honor to those who lack it, to the humble, to the hidden servants. Um, and I think that ought to be what the way we align ourselves. Paul is calling us to align ourselves with that and find the, the behind the sceners who are at work faithfully serving our church family and bestow honor on them. Your child's teacher. Some of you didn't know your child had a teacher. You just thought, 
you put them in that soundproof room and then you pick them up later. No, there are teachers in there with them the whole time. And, and they are mentoring and encouraging and teaching and loving on your children. Um, there's an ESL team in our church. English is a second language. They meet every week with people who've come to our community and cannot speak our language. And they meet with them and they teach them. They love on them in the name of Christ. They teach them English, often, as you might guess, using Scripture. And they're doing that in the name of Christ here in our church. Uh, the Sojourners Ministry, that's our Spotlight Ministry of the Month. It's on your, on your worship guide this morning. Um, people who, refugees who are coming to our country from places like Syria, fleeing for their life, these people are just humbly, quietly going about the business of loving them in the name of Christ. Um, somebody cleans the commodes every week. They're not self-cleaning. Um, somebody brings gluten-free bread so the people who have uh, celiac disease can partake of the Lord's Supper with us without becoming sick. Um, catch a behind-the-scenes servant serving well. And give them special thanks, special honor. The Spirit has designed the body, the church, to protect against division and promote mutual love and care for each other. Me for you, you for me, for the common good, right? Be together, not the same. There's Sam. No, just kidding. Um, So all of this... Um, all of this, and you've heard it in the language as we read the passage about everything I've read. All of this, the be together and the not the same, it's by God's design. Um, You have the service. You have, I have the place of service. I have in the church here at North Wake by God's sovereign choice. And Paul says it over and over and over. He says in verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them, okay, not just the pastors, not just the singers, not just the elders, each one of them is arranged by God um, as he chose. Verse 24, God has so composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church apostles and prophets and all these different kinds of gifts. The diversity of the body is by God's own design. Your your conversion, when you came to faith in Christ and you were placed in the body of Christ, is by God's loving design and and choice. You were placed in this church by God's design and choice. And so whether teaching or helping or healing or administrating or serving or whatever your niche is, you are placed in this church by His design by His Spirit's good design, and it is for all of our good. God has designed us to be together, not the same, in a way that the Google Android folks can only dream about. You know, it's fascinating. The world loves this idea, be together, not the same, but they can't pull it off. We have the spiritual enablement to pull it off, and some of us are refusing to take part. This shouts to the world of a unity greater than our differences. In Christ, 
in Christ alone. Now, Paul, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, when he talks about the body, he's mostly talking about the way we relate to each other. In Ephesians and Colossians, he has a little bit different emphasis on this metaphor, and we saw it last week in Ephesians 5, where it talks about um, Christ loving his bride, even as a husband loves his wife. And so, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. And we saw last week that to be the church is to live willingly under Christ's lordship, to willingly embrace that Jesus is Lord of the church and of my place in it. Christ is the head. When we say we're the body of Christ, one of the things that means is we have a head and we are built to do what he asks of us. Now, this idea of Christ being the head has kind of another emphasis And Paul brings that out in Colossians when he says, um, let no one disqualify you. He's talking about false teachers. And he says, they're insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So the head nourishes and protects us from going astray. And the better connected we are to the head, the more we walk in the ways he has for us and are kept safe from being led astray. We need the head. We are built to get our life from the head. And so we trust in him to nourish us and protect us and care for us. And again, we, we looked at this last week a little bit in the Ephesians 5 language, where it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. That is, in the same way as Christ loves the church. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Okay. See, when we talk about Being the body of Christ, one of the things that image means is that we are deeply, deeply loved. It's a sure love, a secure love, just like you can bet on the fact that a man loves his own body. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, stand in front of the mirror. Not that kind of love. Nourishes, cares for his own body. Don't don't get in between a man and his meal, okay? I have a a soon-to-be 16-year-old son who is a, a line, middle linebacker. And uh, on the field, he is a terror. He's the most aggressive player that I've, that I've watched uh, up our way. And um, it's not his persona. He's, he's actually kind of timid around the house. I've only seen him be that aggressive one other time, and that's around the refrigerator, right? <laughs> I mean... Uh, Don't get between that boy and the fridge. Now, he'll take you down to get to his meal. Um, Samuel Adams said that the first law of nature is self-preservation. And Paul is building on that idea here. Just as sure as we would search for our own sustenance, Christ is that committed to caring for and loving for us. If you're a member of Christ's body, 
the church. And you come to this table to partake of the Lord's Supper with him, then what you are doing is remembering and reminding yourself that you are loved with a sure love. Just as a man cares for his own body, so Christ cares for you. In fact, he cares for you so much that he would sacrifice his own body for you. Paul says that by this God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so as you approach the table, come and celebrate and honor and worship and remember how much you are loved by the Father and His Son and the Spirit. Um, and so we do want together now to remember that on the night on which He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He broke it and He gave it to His disciples and He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. The table at North Wake is open to anyone who's a follower of Christ who's currently walking in fellowship with him. You are willing to forsake your sin and come to the table and commune with the risen Christ and find grace for, your, uh, for you in your time of need. What I, what I would like to ask you to do today, just uh, to make the approach to the table less chaotic, if you're in these sections, um, if you would approach those tables that way and then come back to your seat through the center aisles.